0: murderer and then he says he's a liar. Now I want you to think about that and let your mind scope back because Jesus had a reason for depicting him in such a way in front of the scribes and pharisees who wanted to murder him and wanted to not be in the truth. His desire was always to reach these men. His desire was never win the argument. His desire was to win them. So, uh, I would ask you a question for, to, to prod your thinking this morning. When did, when did Satan actually murder? If you define murder very carefully as the taking of one's life, what life did he take? It wasn't Adam, because Adam chose sin, which brought death. So, he did not murder the human race, neither did he murder the Lord Jesus Christ. He laid his life down on the cross. So if Jesus calls him a murderer, when did he ever murder? I would suggest to you he never has murdered. If you think of it as an act, he never actually did it. But Jesus wasn't referring the devil as a murderer from the, an act that he performed. It says he was a murderer from his beginnings, from the beginning. The origin of murder, the original thought of murder was the devil's. Never performed it, but it was his intent and his original desire to kill and to murder. Now he lied in the Garden of Eden when he cast doubt on God's word and then frankly said, you shall not surely die. That's a lie. But it says that he was a liar and he is the father of it. So think with me as he's speaking to these scribes and Pharisees who were wanting to commit the act of murder and to lie and not be in the truth. He wanted to say to them this. You are not the originator of your act. Satan is. You have a choice not to murder. You have a choice not to lie You have a choice of your... In fact, he said to them, it is your will to do your father the devil's desires. Notice it wasn't their desire to do his will to kill. The thought to kill was theirs. The will to kill was theirs. And they can change their will. Do you follow me? He was giving them an out, a possibility not to kill and not to murder, saying Satan was the very source of that. What's interesting in these passages is that theologians have grappled and battled with Jesus' statements over the centuries. It's interesting that the gospel that most depicts the love of God and the apostle John who most promotes the love of God, he and he alone has these verses where he Jesus is telling these scribes and Pharisees, You are of, out of, your father, the devil. Back in the 20s and 30s of the last century, German theologians jumped on this and depicted the Jewish people as children of the devil. Thus Hitler's justification of the Holocaust. But Jesus was a Jew. And the disciples were Jewish. The first early church was Jewish. But do you see how men can take this and say anything they want and use it to spew hate toward others? Now, I addressed briefly, and I want to revisit it before we get into our text. Are all lost people children of the devil? Or are simply those who are murderous toward Christ... And at the point of Christ rejecting, do they develop themselves into children of the devil themselves? Well, it's interesting that in all of the Bible, this is the only reference that Jesus ever used of calling anyone the father or the children of the devil himself. In all of scripture, it talks about people who don't know Christ as being lost. The natural man, the reprobate. But never children of the devil. I would suggest to you that Jesus' reference to these religious leaders was not a reference to the Jewish people, nor as humanity as a whole, but those who get to the place of rejecting Christ, to the place where they are murderous toward Him. That they develop themselves into children of the devil. Now, are all men lost? Yes, without Christ. But Jesus desires to reach even those who have gotten to the place where they reject him so much and hate him so much that they align themselves with the desire and original murderous plot and lying of the devil himself. Behold the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. Behold the mercy of God who loves us to the place where we spit in his face and desire God's death And yet he still pours out his love and offer to them. Still hope. Well, that's a long introduction. Uh, In fact, I haven't even got to my introduction yet. (laughs) Up on the wall, we haven't visited that in a while because we're going to talk about this this morning. The Gospel of John is our climb of a mountain toward life. And that mountain at times is very steep, understanding the claims of Jesus Christ and who he said he was. John, of all the writers, depicts Jesus as not only the Son of Man, but the Son of God, God in the flesh. In the Old Testament, there was a phrase that God referred to when he was speaking to his people. Uh, in fact, it was Moses' claim in Exodus 3:14, when Moses was sent down to the children of Israel in, e- in, in Egypt, he asked the Lord, "Who shall I say you are?" And he says this, "This is what you're going to say to the children of Israel, "I am have sent me unto you. Literally, I am, I am. Not I was or will be, or a- I am." the ever-present reality. Uh, In um, the book of Isaiah, the Lord asks the question, who has done this and carried it through, calling forth all the generations? From the beginning, I, the Lord, from the first of them until the last, I am He. He declares Himself as the I Am. Uh, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah, God states this, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh, is anything too difficult for me? We run to the book of John and we have the great seven statements and I would just remind you of them because we are going to climb some very tall part of the climb today. In fact, the very, the highest point. He says in John, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the gate I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Clearly, seven times, which is God's number for completion, God declares, Jesus declares himself, I am the I am of the Old Testament. So powerful is this declaration at the end of the Gospel. That when he is arrested by Roman soldiers, we will find that when they ask him, where is Jesus? He says literally, I am, and they fall back to the ground. Men who knew nothing of his claims. The Jews knew well what he was saying. Because when he declared these things, they desired to kill him. And at one point he asked them, what good work are you trying to kill me for? And he said, they said, for no good work, but you, being a man, you make yourself God. And Jesus responded with nothing, meaning you got it right. Here in the passage at the end of the chapter, should we make it to the end of the chapter, Jesus clearly declares himself, I am. This is powerful and significant for you to know. What right does Jesus have over my life? Every bit of it. What right does he have to intertrude into my life? Every bit of it. He is the God who created you. The God who loves you. The God who died on the cross to save you. The God who wants to live his life in and through you. We are not on the throne anymore. He is to be on the throne. He deserves that spot. So go with me, if you will. Take the gospel. There's the introduction. Now we may move into the message part. Verse 48. The Jews answered him saying, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Notice the you messages. When the jews refer to jesus they will say you 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 an accusational pointing at jesus when jesus responds you notice the i i i i he doesn't accuse them back he simply in all of his interactions he never lost control in dealing with these men i would have ripped their faces off if i could have But God, in perfect control of himself, responded with perfect answers, desiring for them to see him. Notice his response in verse 49. Jesus answered, completely ignoring the fact that they accused him of a Samaritan. He was not a Samaritan, but he would have been proud to be a Samaritan. There's nothing wrong with being a Samaritan. The Jews thought so. Jesus didn't. For every Samaritan from here on out read the absence of the accusation. He simply answers it and says, I do not have a demon but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. I don't seek your commendation over me. I'm not fighting for your approval of me. I don't seek my own place notice he says there is one who seeks it and he is the judge the judge of who deserves glory verse 51 truly truly i say unto you now notice he shifts he shifts the argument away from demonism and satan and accusations Notice what he offers here in verse 51. Truly, truly, I say unto you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Wow. Notice the shift. Notice the offer of his life. Let's get off the accusations. You have dishonored me, but I'm not worried about that. God honors me, and that's what matters. If you keep my word, you'll never die. Always kept him off kilter, didn't he? They never knew what was coming next. Oswald Chambers in his uh, lectures on the days of the ascension of Christ says this. There is only one Lord of men, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he never insists his authority on anyone. He never says thou shalt. He takes the patient course with us, as he did with his early disciples. The teaching of Jesus only begins to apply to us when we have received the disposition that ruled him. Jesus Christ, Listen carefully. Jesus Christ makes our destiny depend entirely on a man's relationship with himself. According to our Lord, the bedrock of membership in the Christian church is a revelation from God of who Jesus is and a public declaration of that. If you keep my word, if, if you don't want to keep my word, I won't force you. I won't press upon you myself. Here's the offer. Come if you will. He goes on and says, "Well, look at the Jews' response in verse 52. The Jews said unto him, <laughs> What they should have said is, "We want life. We never want to die. How do we keep your word? They're asking the wrong questions because their orientation is wrong. Their disposition inside is wrong. Look what they say. We know you have a demon." Now we know. We're not thinking anymore. We're convinced you're demonic. Why a bolt of lightning didn't come through the temple and burn them into a crisp at this moment, I have no idea. Oh, yeah, I do, because God loves them. We know. Imagine speaking to God Almighty in the face, telling him he has a demon and living to tell about it. We know you have a demon. Why? Because Abraham is dead. The prophets are dead. I'm not sure how they knew that. Who and who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are speaking like this? You could cut the tension with a knife. There's more listening than just the Jews. There's surrounding people taking all this in. You're listening to it. Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. Notice the essential of the relationship that was missing. But I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. Plain language. Clear to the point. No one walked out of a Bible study with Jesus not knowing what he said and what he meant. No confusion here. But I do know him. Evidence, I keep his word. Anyone can say they know him. Notice as Jesus qualifier. her, I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it. And he was really happy about it. When did Abraham see the Lord's day? Kind of a mystery, isn't it? Did he pull aside the veil out of heaven and see Jesus' ministry on earth what was it when he went under the cloud or the stars and God said look up and he kind of prophetically saw in the future what was it when he laid Isaac on the altar and raised the knife and you know the whole goat was in the thicket the God will provide himself a lamb we're not told well, we're told Abraham saw it. Look at their response in 57. So the Jews said to him, You're not even 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. You can, you can just hear the satire. You can hear the disgust in their voice, their sarcastic tone. Here's the great declaration. Listen carefully, Jesus said. Don't miss this. Anytime there's a verily, verily, a truly, truly, he's going to say something of incredible significance. Don't be watching the birds go by when this one flies out. Listen. Before Abraham ever was, I am. No more powerful words have ever rolled off the lips of a human being than those. Who do you think you are? I'm God, and I'm here. I'm in your presence. Do you see me? Do you see him today? Is he a person in a book to you? Open your Bible, and there he is. Close your Bible, and there he goes. What right does he have in this world? Does the world applaud him? The world doesn't even know him. The only one that knows him are those who've been hit on the side of the head with a two-by-four called the Holy Spirit. It takes about that, doesn't it? We get knocked in the head with a two-by-four? Wake you up, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit has to show this to you. I have, notice their response. Gosh, you're not putting your Bibles away, are you? Okay. I thought I heard some books going down. Look at verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him. And instantly lightning appeared in the temple, burning them into a... One of, the, one of the colonnades fell on them, crushing them into a million pieces. I really want the passage to say that. I want a scene like out of Indiana Jones when that guy drank out of the wrong chalice. <laughs> Remember that? That was great, man. His eyes blew up, his head blew up. I mean, just slowly, he just imploded in front of everybody. I want these guys to implode. They want to kill him. They pick up stones. I'm amazed at how, his, how this kind of happens. Look, look at it says, and he, and he hid himself. Slid sideways, got under the seat behind somebody's, you know, and just just slid out. Just kind of, what? God has to hide himself and slide out from these guys. Amazing scene, isn't it? I'm just blown away. There's nothing more boring than predictability. There's nothing more exciting than uncertainty. You never know where he's going to show up and how he's going to do a thing, do you? You know? The legalist has it all down how God works. Those based in grace, they haven't got a clue how he works. They just know he does. We're just kind of wandering, bumping into walls, watching God do things. Some people he saves with tremendous emotion and, 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 and praise the Lord. And some people say, I'm ready to come to Christ. I'm ready to pray right now. Just bow their head and pray. God works mysteriously and miraculously and never like I expect. You need to know that your origin is Adam. You can't change that. When you were born in this world, you were not born a child of the devil. You were born from Adam. You were not responsible for the apple that was bitten. Unfortunately, we're all in the dilemma, aren't we? Of inheriting from Adam a sin nature. A disposition that is rebellious and left to itself will issue itself out. Of hatred toward God. Any desire of God having any authority in your life at all. And mark it down. It's not the stuff you think of that is sinful, although the outward stuff is sinful. It's the heart that wants its own way. It's the life that wants a right to itself. Don't interfere with me. You got that from somebody else. Number two, we are responsible in a sense. Not for our origin, I should have worded this differently. We are responsible to our response to our origin, which naturally is to issue out sinful rebellion against God. We become responsible sinners. That's why we talk about an age of accountability. When a child raises up and gets to an age where they understand sin and rebellion against God. At that point, they're responsible to God for that origin of Adam. The armadillo that we saw a little bit ago, I saw him two days ago. I went to the same business and there he was. Someone had run over him. And now he looked about the same, he was just a lot flatter. Just as dead as he was three days ago, he just a little flatter. We don't change. Life just flattens us down a little more. I'm still dead. The only thing that changes your origin is redemption. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Now, I say that because that's the last thing man wants. Every bit of self-help you got out there, every bit of books about psychology is all about fixing the flat, crushed armadillo. Let's give that thing some mouth-to-mouth. How's that? Let's get down and pump it and, you know, try to, you know, just try to get its heart going. Starts to smell, so we throw some deodorant around it to make it smell better. Nothing will pick that armadillo up out of its dead, nasty, I think you just need to see it again. Nothing resurrects an armadillo other than the life of God himself you need life to come into you by the way those of us who know Christ as our savior just because the life is in us doesn't mean that we don't need to reach out to that life on a hourly minute by minute basis for life itself there is nothing in us everything is in him everything all the time is all in him apart from him this is what we look like I was telling I mentioned this morning I was at Sam's waiting on a ride and Sam's is kind of a cool place to wait on a ride because because they got couches in there you know and if you got they got samples in there and you can kind of wander around it's, it's really a kind of a cool place and you can see they bring new stuff in so you can see the new stuff that's there you know so I, had, I anticipated the wait, uh, and so I got a book, you know, so I'm reading a commentary on the Bible, I'm, I'm reading a commentary about the Bible, and I'm on their leather couch, and I, you know, I'm, I'm figuring, I'm a good advertisement for the couch, because I look really comfortable when people walk by, so I put my feet up on the couch, I put my, just on the corner, you know, and so I'm reading my book about the Bible, my commentary about the Bible, with my foot up there, you know, just relaxing, thinking everything's cool, some guy walks by, and he mumbles under his breath, get your foot off the couch, That's what I look like right there at that moment. <laughs> I didn't even look over at the guy, man. I wanted to rip his face off. I'm like, mind your own business, man! Get off of me! So what did I do? I kept my foot up there for ten more minutes just to make sure. If he circled back around, he couldn't, you know, say, well, I told him he did it. Yeah, I tried, yeah, That's all we got to offer God right there. That's it. That's the extent of our flesh of anything that we can do. The only thing that saves us, redeems us, delivers us, is the atonement, is the redemption, is Christ in us. And Christ in us doesn't change us. It doesn't alter the flesh. I have walked with Him almost 40 years. And I'm still as carnal as the day I got saved. And if he tarries and I walk with him 20 good years, I'll be just as mean and nasty and selfish as the day I got saved. It is only him and he alone that lives his life. And that's what he offers us. He is God. Why would we sit on the throne of our life when God desires to sit there? I did have a good spiritual moment this week. I just had one. I'll, I'll contrast what the first one was with the second one. Um, uh, it is not true that Larry broke the window in the front fourier. Some of you are talking about that. Larry did not bust that. I busted it. Larry's he gets accused of a lot around here. and he There's reasons. Yeah, he does a lot. But... Uh, Anyway, I I was at the weed eater right by the road there, and apparently there's a small stone that kicked up. And and all of a sudden, I heard it sounded like water rushing down the window. And I thought it was water until I realized it was a cascade of glass, just shh. And in that moment, it was almost surreal. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful moment. (laughs) Other than the thought of the money we'd have to spend to replace it. It was a beautiful moment. And this is the thought that came on my mind at that moment. God, you're the God of the pebbles of our lives. I didn't plan on taking this weed eater and whipping one of these babies up in the window. I had nothing to do with it. I couldn't control it. It's all in your hands. It's your window, Lord. If you want to bust your window, just go and bust it out. man. In fact, I said later in the day, I said, Lord, why don't you bust all the windows out? And that way we got a reason to have to repair the front, just fix the whole front so it doesn't happen again. But the Lord said, no, I'm going to keep them all there. And When he's God, when he's in control, things happen in your lives and you're just like, what's well, interesting? That's your car, that's your house, that's your person, not mine. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. And so clearly tells us that you are God. Lord Jesus, we love you. And uh, we're just amazed. We're amazed how patient you are with us. Because we see how patient you were with the men who wanted to kill you. And how much you loved them. And you really wanted to reach them. And who knows, Lord, some of those very men might have been in the early church, got saved. Who knows?